Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Praise to the Lord, praise to the Lamb, the King of Heaven. Lord, you alone deserve the honour and the glory and the praise. So we bow before you this morning, Lord, in this place. We would seek to give you space, space to speak to us, space to work in our lives, space to adjust our busy programs that we might align ourselves with you and with your spirit, with your will for our lives. Oh, Lord, speak to us this morning through your word, through this passage. We ask that you be with us, that you guide us, and that you keep us attentive, Lord, this morning to the promptings of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please be seated. Thanks to the team. Good morning. morning. Welcome. Love to have you here with us in person and uh, online. Those of us who are joining online, great to have you here with us as well as we come this morning to our uh, our final message in the series on being thankful. And uh, this morning we're going to focus in on a passage in Hebrews that uh, encourages us to be eternally thankful. That's our theme for this morning. At a recent uh, visit to her GP, my wife, Margie, made a comment to her doctor, and uh, this is what she said. She said, you know, um, I'm going to be turning 60 next year, so uh, I guess I'm just getting old. What she anticipated was her doctor saying something like, no, no, 60's not old, you're a spring chicken, years of life ahead of you. But uh, her doctor didn't say that. Instead, her doctor uh, agreed with her. (laughs) Time for a new doctor. Her doctor said, yeah, well, yeah, you are getting old. (laughs) She's thinking, that's not what you're supposed to say. (laughs) Well, we're all getting older day by day. And I was speaking to my parents in Adelaide a week or so ago. And uh, they're well into their 80s. Got a picture of them, I think, to flash up there. You might have seen that before. And, uh, you know, they're in their mid to late 80s, doing very well, actually, for the most part. But, uh, but my dad <laughs> said to me the other day, he said, you know, Nick, um, people around us keep falling off the perch. <laughs> That's what happens when you get older. And uh, he, said, uh, <laughs> he said, we're wondering uh, if we might be next. He said it with a smile on his face, but uh, I reckon there was just a sense of uh, just quiet concern behind the comment. You know, when your uh, peers are dying, it can seem a bit grim. And the world's a bit grim, isn't it, at the moment? All this talk of climate change and, uh, you know, things are heating up. Things are heating up in other ways as well. The crisis in the Middle East as the world watches on with concern and China and the US and Russia kind of gather. We think, wow, where's all this going? Closer to home, things are heating up with the cost of living pressures, interest rates rising, crime rates on the increase, pressure with an exponential acceleration of 
technological advancement has also come an exponential acceleration of anxiety and mental health issues as people struggle to cope with the pressures of everyday life. And uh, the pressures are real. The struggle is real. I uh, recently attended a, 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 an event put on by CPX, the Centre for Public Christianity. It was a, a lecture in the city on the topic of hope. And one point that was made was that in our society, for our younger generation, I found this interesting, there's a difference in perspective from the younger generation to the older generation. For our younger generation, there's a distinct lack of hope compared to the older generation. So in the, in the minds of our children, the landscape is already pretty grim. And the greatest hope they have, our children in this sort of a series of options they were given to choose from, the greatest hope they have is that things won't get worse than they are. Isn't that telling? And so very often in the minds of our children, there's a, there's a deep sense of anxiety actually about the future of our world, about their future, and that anxiety is fueled by the information that they are fed relentlessly often and the picture that's being painted for them. And it's a very grim picture. The future is bleak. There's not much hope. The world's going to pot. Bet you're glad you came this morning, aren't you? <laughs> so that's the end of my message. So let's just close. <laughs> you know... Uh, it's only grim. The picture is only grim if you take a purely earthly perspective. If this world and this life is all there is, then yes, it's grim and we should probably be very anxious. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to take not an earthly perspective that's temporal, but a heavenly perspective that is eternal. And that changes everything. The Christian narrative has a wonderful ending that is full of hope and life. A narrative that we need to feed into the minds of our children and our grandchildren, our younger generation. So when we encounter the death of a loved one, for example, we grieve, of course, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, say the Scriptures. In our grief, we celebrate something greater that is to come. When we consider climate change, yes, we should be concerned and uh, we should be the best stewards of God's creation that we can, but we don't approach that topic with fear that so often is the driving force behind that narrative. Fear that leads to anxiety. We don't do that because we have hope that the creation that currently groans, right? Romans 8 in anticipation, currently groans, will one day be renewed by the sovereign God. When we think of the war in Israel, as followers of Jesus, we should pray for Israel. Absolutely, yes. We should pray for Palestine as well. By the way, both nations have rejected Christ as Messiah, both nations need a saviour as does our own nature, which also has largely rejected Jesus. So we pray. But we pray to the one who sits on the throne as the nations rage and who will one day return to restore order to his world. And so we have hope as a people 
We have eternal hope. And so as we reorientate our thinking to that mindset, the result is a thankfulness that disperses anxiety and dispenses with fear. Now to our passage this morning, which speaks to these things well. It's Hebrews 12 and verses 18 to 29. Let me read these for you. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What is that all about? You know, it's one of those passages, isn't it, that at first glance you might uh, just skip over it because it all seems a bit difficult to understand. We, uh, we want to jump quickly to chapter 13 that starts, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, we can get our heads around that. Also, let's talk about mountains. But here we have a tale of two mountains to misquote Dickens. And uh, the two mountains, let me just explain a bit of this to you. It seems a bit weird, doesn't it? But um, the two mountains represent the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And the sharp, distinct contrast between the two. So the first mountain, I've got a couple of images for you. The first mountain is a mountain of fear and refers back to the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And uh, if you remember that story back in Exodus chapter 19, you can sort of have a quick flick through that right now or at some other time if you like. You'll recall that the people's approach to God at Sinai was an experience of overwhelming fear as they stood at the base of the mountain some distance away, they trembled with fear. Moses himself trembled with fear. And at the top of the mountain, there was uh, the presence of the living God. There was blazing fire, thick black clouds, deep darkness, billowing smoke. 
There were all these terrifying trumpet blasts that were getting louder and louder. The whole mountain shook with the presence of God. The people were terrified, understandably so, rightly so. They should have been terrified. The impression they had of God was that he was highly impersonal, um, communicating this clear message, and the message was this, stay away. Don't come any closer to this mountain. Don't come any closer to the presence of God. You'll be consumed, for God is a consuming fire, which actually was a quote from Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 4. So here we have it, Mount Sinai, a mountain of fear, a mountain of the old covenant. This is the mountain that's described here in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, then in this passage, the writer draws this extraordinarily stark contrast between that mountain and a vastly different mountain, a mountain not from the past, but from the future. A mountain not of the old covenant, but of the new covenant, the mountain of the heavenly city of Zion, Mount Zion. And this is a mountain not of fear, but a mountain of great joy. And here, in the picture, people's approach to God is characterized not by fear, but by unspeakable joy and, in fact, jubilation. You've got this description of thousands upon thousands of angels in, uh, in joyful assembly. And uh, the word used here for joyful assembly is uh, the only use of this word in the New Testament. But in secular literature, it was used to describe the great crowds, the great gathering, the great celebratory atmosphere of, uh, of the Olympic Games in ancient times. So think of the, um, the recent intense jubilation of the Indian cricket crowd when they thought they were winning the World Cup. That was short-lived. Uh, apologies to our Indian brothers and sisters here this morning. Not really an apology. But if you saw any of that, uh, that game, that great world event, 130,000 Indians essentially crammed into this massive stadium there in India in ecstatic jubilation. And there were times it would pan across the crowd, the camera, and it was a remarkable sight. Uh, drums, colour, dancing, singing, you know, like they were just all so, so excited. That's the picture, that's the Mount Zion picture actually. Excitement, celebration, overall well-being. It's a beautiful picture actually. These are people of every nation, tribe and tongue who belong to the church of the firstborn, who is Jesus in this passage, people whose names are written in heaven. Now there is a joyful concept. Their names are written in heaven. And you might remember the story in Luke chapter 10 of the 72 who'd been sent out by Jesus and then when they came back from their assignment, uh, they came returning to Jesus with a great sense of joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How cool is that? Like they're really, really excited about that. And uh, Jesus essentially says, hey, uh, I'll give you something to rejoice about. Don't just rejoice in that. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Think about that for a moment. 
You know, every time we sing that old hymn before the throne of God above, I'm deeply moved by that line, just somehow gets to me every time. The line says, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. The God of all things, the God of creation, the God of eternity, knows my name. He knows your name. He knows your name. My name is written in heaven. I wonder as you sit here this morning whether you have that confidence that you know, that you know, that you know that your name is written in heaven. Something for which you can be eternally thankful. What a contrast between the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. One with the message of stay away, don't, don't come any closer, you'll, just, you'll be consumed. The other with the message of warm invitation, come. You're invited, you're included, come. You belong, come and be with me. And the difference between the old mountain and the new mountain, the old covenant and the new covenant, quite simply, is Jesus. He is the difference. What a difference Jesus makes. Before Jesus came, God seemed distant and threatening. After Jesus came, God warmly welcomes us through Christ into his presence. And so in this passage, there are these two mountains, the mountain of fear, the mountain of joy. And then there's a stern warning. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. It's a stern warning. A couple of chapters earlier we read, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, what we need to understand is that the God of Sinai is also the God of Zion. Not two gods. Yeah, some people say, oh, I don't like the Old Testament God. I love the New Testament. It's the same God. There is one God. He's a God to be feared, not a God to be trifled with. He's a God who, through Christ, invites you to be part of a jubilant, joyful celebration for all eternity. But such is the grace of God that he won't force you to accept that invitation. See, the grace of God is a wonderful thing, but it needs to be rightly understood. Because grace does not say to humanity, whatever you have done, come And oh, yes, everything will really be okay even if you don't come. It'll all be okay. Grace does not say that. Or come, and if you you act as though you've come, you're not really coming, but you're just kind of playing some little church attendance thing to try and have a foot in both camps. It'll It'll all be okay. 
Grace does not say that. You know, I've, um, I've attended many funerals over the years for people who during their life on earth have clearly not responded to God's invitation to come. People who have rejected God and his ways, people who we might say have refused him who speaks. They've not accepted the invitation. But then in death, the message at the funeral so often is, oh, yes, but he's lived, he's lived a good life. He was a, he was a good man. He was a good guy, deep down. So therefore, he has gone to a better place. Well, based on what? Is what I think. What are you basing that on? It's wishful thinking. It's not the teaching of the scripture. It's not the word of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to base my life, my eternity on wishful thinking. See, grace, it's a wonderful thing. Grace must be received and enjoyed and understood in the context of covenant, a covenant relationship. Those who refuse him who speaks, those who reject the new covenant, reject grace, and therefore consequently embrace judgment. By default, they embrace judgment. They don't accept the grace. They don't accept the, 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 the invitation, the warm invitation that's extended to them. And so we should heed the warning and we should accept the invitation. And then the final word in the passage is a, a call to eternal thankfulness. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, amen, let us be thankful let us be eternally thankful. And so, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, which is the right response to God. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. The consuming fire on the Mount Sinai continues to be the consuming fire of God. Just this week, we've seen some frightening scenes of bushfires raging here in Perth, uh, north and south, um, consuming everything in their path. Goodness, it's a, it's, it's a frightening sight, isn't it? Now and then you'll hear firefighters say things like, you know, we're currently unable to contain this fire. It's too powerful. Well, this is the nature of the consuming fire of God. It cannot be contained. It's a fire that is not within our control. It's not out of control, by the way. The consuming of fire of God is never out of control. It's in his control. But it cannot be contained. But here's a perspective you may not have thought about before. The consuming fire of God is a wonderful thing. Everything that is worthless, everything that is evil, everything that is sinful or corrupt, or shameful will ultimately be consumed by the refining fire of God's wrath. How great is that? I don't know about you, but you know, for me, there are things from my past, things that I regret. There are things that I'm ashamed of. 
There are things I can just call to mind right now that cause me to feel embarrassment and shame and guilt. Now I know that I'm forgiven for those things. Those things have been dealt with by Jesus at the cross. Hallelujah. A thousand hallelujahs. I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I know it. But those things, you know, those things, they remain in my memory, in my conscience. And the accuser will take every opportunity to remind me of those things and try and convince me, actually, of my unworthiness. I mean, goodness, how dare I stand in front of a group like this and talk about the grace of God with what I've done. But the day will come when the consuming fire of the wrath of God will forever burn up all those things in my life and your life, in my history, in your history, until all that remains is the perfect image of Christ in you, preserved for all eternity. The rest of it is gone, destroyed by fire. For these things, I am eternally thankful. I'm so thankful to God. But these things are only available to those who accept the invitation to come to God in faith and to enter into an eternal covenant with him. We live in grim times. And the future looks pretty bleak from an earthly perspective. But you know, God invites us into an eternal covenant, an eternal relationship with him, and therefore to take on a heavenly perspective. You know, that changes everything. It changes everything. The last few verses of the Bible include these pleading final words from God in Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. Let the one who hears Say, come, let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's a wonderful, wonderful, open invitation. It's a free gift, costly for the giver, but free for all who would come and receive. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, the one who offers you eternal life. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, these are sobering thoughts for us this morning as we together contemplate these words of Scripture that describe a mountain of fear and a mountain of joy and a stern warning, but a warm invitation to respond to you as the God of Mount Zion. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
eternal God. You are the, you're the Alpha, the Omega. You never change. But Lord, in Jesus and through the cross, we discover this remarkable invitation to grace. So this morning, even this morning, just in these quiet moments, we just lay our lives before you. We confess to you our apathy at times, our half-hearted commitment to you. But Lord, draw us to yourself and give us hearts that are on fire for you. Give us a perspective that's a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. An eternal perspective that we might be those who view the world through a different lens, the lens of eternity. And therefore we come this morning as those who are eternally thankful. Eternally thankful, not fearful, but joyful for all that you've done for us, but all, for all that is to come as we look to you, the King of Zion. Oh Lord, we eagerly respond to your invitation. We eagerly anticipate those scenes of jubilation, celebration, when we will all be together as those whose names are written in heaven. Our names graven on your hands, written in your heart. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.